This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of CastingAcross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. This is the final podcast episode of 2020. There's going to be one next week, the first week of 2021. So not a whole lot is going to change from a podcast standpoint, which I think reflects the way the world works. Um, unfortunately, particularly this year, there's not some sort of magic rite that occurs when we flip the calendar over. And although there has been a lot, and I mean a lot of very difficult and very painful and very bad things in 2020, so much so that it has become a trope that we've kind of become uh, desensitized to, there's been a lot of good things. And I'll talk about that briefly at the end of the podcast when I reference something that appeared on castingacross.com. But what I want to talk about this week, and it's very appropriate and probably a trope unto itself, is some fly fishing resolutions. Do you make New Year's resolutions? Personally, I do not. I don't make them for my personal life. I don't make them for work. I guess you could say that some of my uh, annual review goals that kind of pop up in November, December could be seen as, as New Year's resolutions, but I don't think of them as such. But I kind of, for the past few years, especially since I've been doing Casting Across, have been making fly fishing resolutions. It gives me an opportunity to look back on what I did and did not do the previous year and what I'd like to do more of in the coming year. So I thought I would share some of those with you today. Again, another brief podcast because it is a holiday edition. It's being released overnight on New Year's Eve into New Year's Day. So you've got better things to do than just sit and stare at your phone and listen to a podcast. And honestly, I've got a lot going on as well. But I wanted to share some New Year's resolutions with you. So again, not personal, not professional, not even pertaining specifically to casting across. But these are my fly fishing resolutions. And I don't really even expect you to be completely interested in, in what I want to do, but hopefully me talking about a few things can spur you on to making some fly fishing resolutions of your own that you can use as, as a springboard to, to 
fish more or fish better or fish in a different way or fish in a different place in 2021. And I promise they're not going to be simple ones like that. Those are fine, but I'm going to go a little bit deeper than catch more fish or go fishing more or buy three new fly rods. Those are all perfectly admirable resolutions, but we're going to do something a little bit different. And the first one is this, figure out my local put and take water, figure out my local put and take water. So what does put and take water mean? Uh, It might not be the local terminology for where you fish. But uh, what it means is basically a stocked fishery, a fishery that is sustained by regular stocking. You say, Matthew, I've read your articles on your website. I've listened to your podcast. You're a big advocate of native and wild trout. Why do you want to catch stocked fish? Well, let's go back into uh, history, shall we? So about 15 years ago, I got tired of catching stocked fish. But that was okay because where I was living and where I was fishing, there were ample opportunities to catch wild streambred fish and native fish. So without going into too much detail, because I've written about this and done podcasts about this, and pretty much everybody who writes or says anything about fly fishing has talked about this topic, a native fish is a fish that has not been disturbed, has been there for as long as we are aware of of there being fish there. So generally speaking, this is like prior to colonialization, right? So those are truly native fish. Now, this might sound like splitting hairs, but if you're a biologist or a fanatical fly fisher, then this is totally reasonable. Even a brook trout stocked in an Appalachian stream is a stocked fish. It's a stocked fish. Now, if it's stocked as a fingerling, it can become wild, because it's been in the stream, it, it adapts, uh, especially if it's a high-quality uh, stocked fish. But certainly, its progeny, its offspring, can be wild and stream-bred. Now, people will disagree on some of that stuff, but really, at the end of the day, you have a native fish, which is a fish that's been there that has been undisturbed, and a stocked fish is any fish that has been introduced into that water. So a stocked fish may very well be the native species of that stream, but it's still a stocked fish. Then, of course, you have stockfish, fish that just get thrown in, and they may become acclimated to the stream. They may even produce and reproduce, and uh, their progeny can be acclimated. But those wild fish um, started off as stockfish. And then, and then you get down to the bottom, and there's the fish that get thrown in there that probably will get caught or die because the stream isn't able to support them, or it's been opened up for all manner of catching and keeping. So yeah, that's, that's a huge topic that briefly covered here. You can go back and listen to, I think it's called uh, Native Wild or McDonald's, I think was the name of the podcast that I'd had a long time ago about this very topic. But all that to say, I became spoiled in that I was able to fish for those native fish and those stream-bred wild fish exclusively. And it wasn't because I was looking down on the stocked fish. I just chose to make the center of my bullseye, the target of my fly fishing experiences, primarily native, unspoiled trout, brook trout in this case. And then a close circle around that was wild stream bred fish that hadn't been stocked for for generations and generations. And I was able to do that with where I lived. Now, fast forward to moving to New England, and I do have those opportunities, and I I fish in streams like that. I I, I know water that has uh, fish that, from everything I've read, from all the research I've done, these brook trout are the brook trout that have always been there. They've not been stocked over. There's no record of it happening. 
but most of the fishing opportunities around me are stocked fish where the water is open for a good period of the year for harvest. I have to adjust my focus and be okay with fishing there. And here is why. Here's the first reason why uh, is because why not? Why should I be stuck up and not fish for these fish? Okay. Secondly, the last few times I've gone to these rivers, I've gotten skunked. So it's not like these fish are idiots and rubes and all I got to do is throw on a, a mop fly or a San Juan worm or just whatever dry fly I happen to have on there and I'm going to catch trout after trout after trout. They're a challenge. They know what's up. And again, these are fish that are coming from a higher quality hatchery program. They don't look all mangled and nasty and fat. They look like trout. And so they're going to be a little bit more challenging. So again, just to clarify, uh, the way a fish looks isn't necessarily indicative of its caliber or its pedigree or anything like that, but there is a correlation. A fish that's raised well um, and that is stocked at the right time and in the right way is going to more quickly acclimate to the stream than a fish that is going to be starving and is going to be having like a three-month shelf life until the water starts to warm up. But I need to be okay with chasing those stocked fish in these streams near me. Um, It presents more opportunities for me. It will stretch me as an angler. And it will allow me to kind of change my focus and realize that most people, uh, most fly fishers, probably most of my audience, this is the kind of fishing that we do. And so I need to dial back my dogmatic approach to fishing for wild trout. That's the first thing. Second thing, bring people along in my margin time fishing. So I've talked about margin fishing quite a bit on the website and on the podcast, and that is fishing in those little in-between times. So you got two meetings, half an hour to kill. You could catch up on some paperwork. You could do some emails, or you could go cast a fly rod. You could read something during your lunch break, which is totally fine, and I'll talk about that more in a second. Or you could go cast a fly rod during your lunch break. Now, that's a great thing to do on your own. But what I would like to do more of this year is bring people along. So I have lots of meetings, Uh, meetings for work in ministry. I'm constantly meeting with people. Not every meeting lends itself to meeting somebody at a pond and giving them a fly rod. But there's a lot of them where I could absolutely do that. Uh, it's, it's, we probably end up talking about deeper, more significant subject matter if we are not sitting across my desk staring at each other, but standing parallel to one another watching poppers get hit by bluegill. That's just the way it works. I, I know that that is true of me and the guys I fish with. Why wouldn't it be true for me and other people? So I'm not going to change my paradigm of ministry and of work and make it all fly fishing focused, but... I want to incorporate that here and there and where appropriate. And I would also say the same thing about my kids. For too long, I've kind of had this glamorized version of fly fishing with my kids. And I've come to realize that no matter if I'm fishing for 15 minutes or all day, it's going to be a lot of work on the front end, a lot of work during, and a lot of work on the back end. And so maybe quantity is not as important as quality. So do we have fun fishing for 15 minutes and then go playing in the playground? Probably have a lot of fun doing that. Uh, Different kids, you know, they're eight, six, four, and two right now. It's going to be different for each one, but there's a good chance for a lot of them. 
I just need to be ready to do, hey, let's do 15 minutes real quick. I got a couple of fly rods in the back. I've got a Tenkara rod. Make sure you don't tell that to certain people. Otherwise, you'll be a, an angling pariah. But let's just go catch a couple of bluegill. And that keeps that fire burning. That's a concept I've, I've kind of introduced uh, professionally with a lot of people at the church that I'm a pastor at is, is during COVID, we are not trying to reinvent the wheel. We're not trying to copy or mimic or, or parallel what we do during normal life circumstances. We're just keeping the fire burning. We're keeping the lights on. We're making sure people have opportunities to connect and to engage. And so I would say the same thing is true for my kids that if I'm just getting them fishing here and there, it's going to sustain their interest. And sometimes, especially if you're fishing for bluegill, catch a bluegill a week. I mean, that's better than an apple a day. But if you do that for a four-year-old, then that's a fantastic way to keep them dialed into the outdoors. And then even things just like casting skill. Um, and, and they get to have those memories, and those opportunities to get out with you. So uh, I want to bring people along for my margin time fishing more in 2021. Um, and even if it means that they uh, use a Tenkara rod. And I would say even, not even fishing, just casting. Why not? Again, sitting in a coffee shop is great. Why not take the coffee outside and say, hey, check this out. This is called a three-weight. This is how you cast. And they do that. And you just little tips and tricks as you have normal conversation. And then you end up sitting down. And more often than not, people will say something profound while they're distracted not to get all psychological on on the podcast, but it's true. That's why they have play therapy. That's why they have art therapy, where people are focused on something. It's not that their inhibitions are down and that you're tricking them, but you can really have good, intimate conversations with people while you're doing something in parallel with that conversation. So not to overplay my hand if you happen to be a member of my church and are listening to this, but I do intend to do that just for the fun of it and because I think it will add something to my fly fishing and uh, the people that are around me. All right, so figure out my local put-and-take water, bring people along in the margins, and lastly, well, certainly not lastly, but for the, the purposes of today, read more. I read a lot already. That's not to toot my own horn, but I just I read a lot for work. And I have a stack of books about various subjects on my nightstand. And then I have a couple of fly fishing books. And I've been reading more fly fishing books in the last few months than I, than I did previously. But I want to continue to ramp that up. Um, a lot of readers have sent along some of their recommendations. And I was able to pick up some of those books. But what I also want to do is kind of reenter the online reading world. I haven't read a fly fishing blog in I don't know how long. Every once in a while, somebody will send me something and say, hey, what do you think about this? And I'll read it. But by and large, I don't read blogs and articles online. And a big reason for that is, is I'm really sensitive to not stepping on people's toes. I've actually really reduce the number of fly fishing podcasts I listen to now that I'm I'm doing this. I still listen to to kind of the core ones that I recommend all the time on the on the website and on the podcast, but I've just limited uh, the media I take in that is of the same style as what I put out. But I really want to re-enter into that community. I mean, I, I talk with people, I email with people, I, I spend time with people at conservation stuff and in the fly fishing industry, and I, and I have those contacts. But I would really like to see what other people are doing, to see if where I am is 
still close to where other people are. And also just to get the benefits of, of reading other people's experiences. And if I'm thoughtful about how I'm reading and I am deliberate in how I write, it won't be an issue of plagiarism or anything like that. Not to say that anybody's accused me of that or anything. I just, I'm sensitive to it. And I want to reincorporate reading more in 2021. And hopefully it will make me a better writer. I know that reading fly fishing books, whether it be a, a classic fly fishing book like I shared last week on the podcast, or some of even the books that were published in 2020 that are just very, very different from the way that I write, reading those has made me a better fly fishing writer. I feel like some of the writing and the, the podcasting I've done, um, just on the tail of reading a good book, it just has a little bit of a influx of energy and it may very well be a different turn of phrase or a uh, an altered vocabulary or whatever it might be, but there's a lot of good that comes from making sure that you have uh, kind of some surrounding context for what you do. I don't want to be a fly fishing writer and speaker on an island. I want to be part of community. That's what's what's about the culture and the quarry, the culture of fly fishing. And I want to be part of that culture. So I do want to read more kind of within this little fly fishing writing world. So if you have any suggestions for that, if you have uh, an online writer or a blog or a website or somebody who writes for magazines that you think I should read that they are similar to me or that they're the polar opposite of me, let me know. Matthew at castingacross.com. I would absolutely love to hear that. And as always, I will always, always seriously listen to uh, and consider all the emails and recommendations that I get from you, the listener and the reader. And before I get to the last segments on the podcast, Happy New Year. Thanks for a great 2020. Within the realm of the podcast and the website and fly fishing, it's been really, really good. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that people listen to and read what I put out. So thank you very much. Hope that you have a happy and safe new year. And let's keep this thing going into next year. This week on castingacross.com. The first article was called 2020 via Casting Across. Now, this is something that I did last year for the first time, but you know that Top 9 app or website or wherever it is that takes your Instagram posts and it gives a little collage of the top nine uh, based on the most likes? Well, that's cool and that's fun and it's neat and it's uh, you know just a great way to look back on the year. And that's precisely what I did in this article is I took those top nine and I wrote just a two or three sentence story about the good things that those nine pictures represented. Nine good things in a very difficult, very hard year. Now, they're all fly fishing focused. And as I mentioned in the article, if I want to talk about good things that had to do with work, with family, with other facets in my personal life, then there's a good chance that none of those nine fly fishing pictures would have made it up there. But within the context of fly fishing, those nine moments were nine fantastic moments. And so you can check that out. I have a little, again, a little two or three sentence uh, description of each picture and why it was a good moment for me in 2020. Wednesday's article is called Casting Across Year in Review. And this is a kind of generic boilerplate stats article. Talk about some of the articles that got a lot of eyes and podcasts that got a lot of ears. Uh, the kind of people that engaged. If you read and listen regularly, then hopefully this will be something cool where you can say, okay, that's you know something I missed, I need to check out, or yeah, I, I did think that was worth it, or anything like that. So hopefully you get a little bit of enjoyment out of that article. 
This week's recommendation is beads. Beads. Risen fly fishing has a whole bunch of new beads. And if you tie, uh, whether you are an advanced tire or a beginner, having the right bead and the right kind of bead can really influence the look and the performance of your fly. So a perfect example of this, uh, you need a slotted bead to effectively and efficiently tie a jig fly. It's just the fact of the matter. And you can have different colored flies and that can streamline and speed up your fly tying. So if you have a neon pink bead head, which Ryan sells at Risen Fly Fishing, then you don't need to necessarily tie in a hot spot. So you save yourself a step. Now you might like having the hot spot on the collar, but if you just want something bright for the fish to key in on, now you've saved yourself a step. So it's not just about performance. It's also about functionality and efficiency. So a good bead head will improve your tying and will improve your fishing and it'll just make your flies look cool. Well, just for example, what Ryan is selling at risenfly.com for slotted tungsten beads. So slotted tungsten beads, so this would be for jig hooks. They come in uh, black nickel, dirty olive, fluorescent orange, fluorescent purple, gold, glow in the dark, matte black, and olive. And they come in sizes from two millimeters to four and a half millimeters. I mean, it's a pretty wide, wide variety there. They have six different sizes and they come in 25 packs for, get this, four and a half bucks. I mean, yes, 25 tiny little beads, but for tungsten, slotted tungsten colored bead heads, and they, I mean, they're, they're legit. They are great colors. Um, you can tie some really great patterns uh, with them. Um, you, you can't beat it. So there's other bead styles. There's bead chain, there's dumbbell eyes, you name it. Um, but it sounds like a simple thing, but it can really impact your tying and the performance of your flies if you have the right unique beads. So I'll put a link to the beads and the weights on Risenfly on the show notes of this podcast's page on castingacross.com. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com where you'll find more info on this podcast and three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. that has the stories to back it a life to be proud of it's a winchester life yeah baby six eight western oh, i'll be over there baby right there tune in every tuesday at 7 p.m eastern on waypoint tv to go with like just full-blown redneck on these fish. This is like high-tech cane pole fishing right here. From the white sandy beaches to the crystal blue waters, enjoy the best fishing Panama City Beach has to offer during Chase in the Sun, Sundays at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.